Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there, from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you for being on. Uh, so why don't we start off? You want to tell people a little bit about yourself and your books and your work and your what you be up to. Yeah, sure. So my name is Gabriella, or uh, Gabby on the social media sites. Um, I am an author, a fashion alchemist, and a witch living in Los Angeles. Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt and moved back to LA about five years ago and love it here. Um, I'm the author of Inner Witch, A Modern Guide to the Ancient Craft, Bewitching the Elements, A Guide to Empowering Yourself Through Earth, Air, Fire, Water, and Spirit, and most recently, Embody Your Magic, which is a guide Embody Your Magic, a guided journal for the modern witch. Um, my work really explores and dissects and weaves at the intersection of magic and glamour and the divine feminine and sexuality. And I write ritual guides for the full moon, the new moon, um, and the holidays of the witch that include things like, obviously, you know, what's going on in the cosmos, affirmations, journal questions, tarot, um, Kabbalah, rituals, and a bunch of other fun things. Um, since quarantine started, I have started um, what I call Kink Coven, which is a ritual play party held every full moon. And we cast a spell of protection on sex workers around the world and then have a virtual play party where we raise energy for that working. Um, I am a journalist, so my background is in fashion writing, but I've written for a bunch of different publications. Um, Vogue International. I had a column with Nylon Magazine called Ask a Witch. Um, I kind of have a column with High Times Magazine called The High Priestess, so that's kind of been on hiatus, um, and have written for uh, Numinous and uh, Allure, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, a bunch of other places about witchcraft and making magic accessible and um, relevant in, in your own life. So yeah, and I'm currently working on two books. One is on goddesses and working with the divine feminine. Um, that will be out in fall of 2022. And also a book called Sacred Sex, which is all about the divine erotic, which will be out next summer. So, yeah. Super cool. So, uh, that's a lot. You've been busy. Uh, it, your your work is really interesting to me. And I've, I've been watching. Uh, I've been kind of aware of it for a while on the periphery. And, and I definitely wanted to have you on the podcast because it, it mm -hmm. seems like you're definitely a very strong new voice in the field. And uh, I think that you're definitely 
how do I put it? Um, redefining magic in a non-cringe way. Like you have a really good aesthetic with it. <laughs> thank you. Wow. That's, uh, that's really sweet because I feel very cringe sometimes. So thank you. Uh, well, I, I am always cringe at all times. But um, but definitely, I mean, you know, like when I was growing up, everything was ridiculously mall goth. And so uh, I, I think a lot of the stuff you've been doing has been very much bringing uh, – bringing this material in a strong way to a new audience that maybe wouldn't have taken it, um, maybe wouldn't have looked at it previously. Has that been your experience? Um, well, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate it. And yeah, I definitely feel that. I mean, you know, I, I've definitely struggled with feeling kind of uh, superficial about my, how important beauty and aesthetics are to me, but for, for me and for my magic, it's, a way for me to touch the divine. And to me, it really is like the language of the universe of goddess of, of love. Um, so I definitely think, you know, it's important for me to, for the outer world to reflect my inner world. And what's even more important for me than that is really that magic isn't dogmatic and it's not something that people are afraid of. And that, you know, with all my work, I really try to make it accessible to wherever somebody is. I think that's, really, really important. Um, you know, there's a lot of gatekeeping, especially now with like witch talk and stuff. I feel like there's a lot of people who, you know, uh, get maybe a little bit overzealous about overzealous about protecting, you know, these, you know, not secrets, but these magical, I don't know, just magic in general. And I, you know, obviously there's, there's definitely, um, power in keeping things sub rosa, but I think that if somebody has this, yearning and this craving and this desire to learn about magic, then that's invitation enough to do so. Like, I really think that magic is for everyone. If you're interested in it, if you're pulled toward it, then that that's all you need to discover it. And um, yeah, just accessibility is so important for me. I don't want to feel like, you know, I'm only talking to people who are like in the club. I, I think that if more people practice magic and if more people were in tune with their inner world and living from that place with integrity, then we would be living in a, a very different world and one that I, you know, want to live in. So. I totally agree. And yeah, I think that's gatekeeping really sucks. I mean, it sucks for anything like any, it doesn't, it's not necessarily just magic. It's anything that people are into. People like to um, gatekeep and be exclusionary and, I think that particularly with a subject like magic, which has such the potential to freak people out and people can, you know, and they usually do come up with their own story uh, in their head about why they're scared and things like that. It really kind of, uh, no pun, pun, pun potentially include pun, possibly, uh, intentional. It really behooves us to, um, be good ambassadors, I think. And, and I've been, working at that for a while, but, but I totally agree. Yeah. And I feel like also, you know, I, I definitely struggle is not the right word. I definitely, uh, don't really wear the title of teacher. Cause I feel like I'm a forever student and I still have a lot to learn, but I think that at least the way that I see it, like the best example I can give with magic is living it and being it and allowing it to, you know, be my, the guiding force in my life. And I think people feel that, you know, like at least I do, I can, at least I think I can tell, you know, when a teacher's being disingenuous or when 
somebody just talks a big game and isn't really walking the walk. And, you know, I will never claim to know everything again. I'm, I'm, I feel like I, I will never stop learning, but I think that's, you know, the seeker's path. Um, but I just try to, you know, lead from a lead from my own life, lead from it, ex- lead by example and, um, just, you know, continue to learn and be honest about that and be very vulnerable and very, um, authentic with the way that I, I share where I am, even if it feels cringe to do so sometimes. Definitely not cringe. Well, what do you say? I mean, what you, you mentioned witch talk, which I have just been informed about recently. I have, I had no idea this existed. Um, but you know, whether it involves that or not, what are you seeing and in interacting with people going out and speaking and, you know, your readers and maybe with younger people is, I'm guessing there's a ton of, of interest uh, at the moment with, with witch talk or with my work, um, more with your work, I would say, I'm just using witch talk as an example of kind of taking the temperature of, of where the public is at, uh, my perception, my perception and has, has been for quite a while now that it's just more and more people are just more and more into it all the time. And there's more and more enthusiasm. So I was just kind of, um, curious what your, you know, what your experience with that has been. Yeah, I think it's definitely the same. I mean, I, I'm relatively speaking, I'm pretty new to this world, I guess, as at least as a, you know, a quote unquote public figure. I use a lot of air quotes with that. Um, I mean, I started writing about witchcraft, you know, a, a long time after I began practicing, but it's probably only been around like seven years. But I really started writing about it when like what I kind of call like the American horror star, American horror story coven, like urban outfitters like trend was really picking up where it was like you would see which like everybody wanted to be witchy but nobody really was like a witch yet like everybody was really into dressing like a witch but I really do feel like that was kind of um, at least in like the past decade the entrance for a lot of people because since then it's just you know if I had a, a penny for every time and somebody interviewing me was like do you think this is just a trend? Like, why do you think people are turning to witchcraft? Like, do you think that it's going to, you know, like, uh, fizzle out? Um, and I mean, which even if magic and the occult hasn't necessarily been in the public eye, um, as much as it is now, like it's always there. And it's the same thing with the witch though. The witch has always been there, even if she's hiding. Um, but I definitely think that at least since I've really been in this world and been writing, like it has not fizzled out. I feel the same way. I think that more people than ever are, um, turning towards alternatives, alternative spiritualities and just magic and, you know, modes of self-empowerment and self-sovereignty. And I mean, I get it, especially over the past year. Like I know from experience, like I cannot imagine raw dogging life through the pandemic. Like I, I do not know what I would have done without my daily practice. Like it really uh, came through. And I, I feel like, you know, that's why I'm so passionate about helping people find a system and a kind of magic that works for them. Cause it has to fit into your life. And when it does, and when it, it really aligns with who you are, then it's everything. And, um, you know, I really feel like it's like, once you taste the Kool-Aid, there's no going back. It's like, once you, you know, get that kind of sense of numinousness or, you know, uh, sanctity of, of the possibilities of life. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you could go back to normal. I mean, who was it? Uh, Serene Virtue. Is she the one that was doing all of those like 
Oracle decks and then became yeah, a yeah. born again Christian. So, I mean, it's possible, you know, it's like you go to any extreme and then the, the pendulum is going to swing the other way. But yeah, I definitely feel like, you know, I have, it's, it's been really humbling. I have people every day reaching out to me about my books and, um, it feels like an immense privilege to share magic. It's something I don't take for granted at all. And it's something I'm very thankful for. So it's just glad to be here. Excited to see what comes in the next five years. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. One thing that I've been thinking about, and it's interesting you mentioned COVID. I was going to ask you if, you know, what people have been coming to you with has changed during COVID, if people have changed approach. Um, but something that I've have been thinking about for a while. And actually I was thinking about it before COVID when people were talking about uh, universal basic income a lot is it was just clear to me even before the pandemic that there were going to be a lot of people out of work sitting at home with nothing to do. And that's potentially a really bad situation for mental health, but um, it's also a really good situation for spiritual practice, right? And and in fact, something like spiritual practice, whether it's magical practice or something like that, uh, something similar to that um, could really be a lifeline for people. And I, I think that that's the experience I've had with my students during, during COVID. So I'm curious um, what you've been seeing in that regard. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I don't necessarily know if like the amount of people who are engaging with magic changes just because like the way, you know, like I don't, especially this past year, I really took a big break from like teaching classes and really have just been like, it's pretty, I pretty much nonstop in writing books since like last March, which has been great. But you know, amongst other things that I am doing, um, it's been a lot. So for me, it's really been, you know, interacting with people like on social media is the main um, and Patreon has been how I kind of am able to like, I guess, gauge that. And, um, I definitely, I definitely see, I see how it's been helpful for people to have Matt, like to have these practices. Um, one thing that I started doing during COVID was that I, um, I like switched to doing some stuff donation based and for my ritual guides, like if somebody can't afford it, they can email me and I'll send it to them. Cause I just like, I know how powerful it is and how, how much of a lifeline it can be to, you know, do breath work and journal and like all of these things that I talk about, like I have firsthand experience of them being there for me through this past year. Like I've had multiple family health crises this past year. I've moved, you know, COVID stuff. It's been, all of us have gone through a lot. And, um, I, I definitely feel like people are really leaning into ritual and magic. Um, I haven't really necessarily had I've, I've just really been, honestly, this past year, I've been hermetically sealed. I've really like taken a step back from teaching, took a step back from social media, like still posting, but really barely on there. So it, I, I mean, my engagement with everything's gone up. I've, I've, people are still engaging me with my work, but like, I just have not been, um, for my own, you know, my own mental health reasons haven't been like as, uh, forward facing necessarily as, um, maybe I have been in the past. So this is a little bit more speculative, but I, I mean, you know, just even talking to my community and the, you know, the magical groups that I, I do ritual with, like I've, I've heard from, from them, like how, you know, we all agree how much of a lifeline it is to have one another and how, how much a sense of community too has helped, has helped. I mean, for me too, has helped me through this whole thing. Um, and then also my daily practice. So, yeah, you mentioned breath work, and would you say that that 
is one of the most potentially one of the most powerful. It's it's just interesting to me that you you immediately went straight to breathwork and mentioned that. Is that maybe one of the most effective things that you found to get through this time? Oh my god! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Breathwork is like the. I feel like it's. I mean, at least. I think it's super underrated. I mean, I maybe not so much in like my magical circle of, you know, group friends, partners, that stuff, but it, I was somebody who never breathed. And I, in the mat, in the span of a week, I had three people point that out. Um, They're like, you don't breathe. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And this was right when I was really, really getting diligent with my daily practice about three years ago. And I set like literally five alarms a day at like different angel numbers. So it's like 555, 333, um, just to breathe. So whenever those alarms would go off, I would breathe. And that literally trained me to breathe. And now I just, it, it's, it's something I do every single day, multiple times a day. Um, and as somebody who is a very mental person, like my mind is always going, I'm always thinking I'm, I'm a very fast person. I walk fast. I talk fast. I think fast. I do things fast. Um, it's been one of the most effective things to, to calm me down, to connect my mind and my body. And, um, especially even when I'm meditating, I mean, that's when I do a a majority of my breath work. Obviously I do it at other times too, but it, I feel like it's really the, the thing that helps me like settle into meditation. Then on top of that, like I just naturally breathe now when I'm stressed, when I'm anxious, when I'm excited, like I just find myself taking a deep breath. Um, and you know, COVID really, really, really taught me, um, how sacred breath is, how, how scary it is to not have that connection. So it's definitely something that is, a. a a foundational part of my magical practice and my practice with meditation and stuff. And, um, I, I always recommend it and I include it in a lot of, of the rituals that I write. And, um, with King Coven too, we, we do that every single, every single meditation. We have some breath work because I'm all about it. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think whether it's just even conscious breathing or even holotropic, excuse me, holotropic breath work or pranayama, that, as far as I'm concerned, is like the best. I actually just got back to it in the last week and it immediately like improved everything because mm-hmm. uh, I hadn't been doing it for a long time. I mean, I teach it, but I hadn't been doing it and it's phenomenal how, how potent it can, even just a little bit can be. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Um, I think of all the techniques and magic that, you know, the vast masses of humanity could benefit from the most. I think that's probably at the top of the list, even if they're not quote unquote magical people. Me too. It's so, it's, it's so powerful. I mean, like even just the different, you know, tattvas connected to the, to the different elements, like it's such a simple technique, but I know for myself, I'm like, okay, well I'm not feeling grounded. So let me do a square breath. Okay. Like, you know, my, my heart's hurting. I'm going to do the, uh, the water breath. Like it's just, it, it, it feels very resonant and I feel like it's, yeah, it's definitely uh saved me this past year and made me very, very thankful for my breath, which is, you know, something something good that came out of COVID, I guess. It's also a great way to check in and be present mm-hmm. and conscious, which is really yeah. hard to do, especially mm-hmm. when you're certainly, I think, as we will probably all experience when your adrenaline's flowing and everything seems life or death all the time. Yes, yes. exactly. I mean, yeah, it's funny. One of like my, 
my memories with my mom is like I when I was little I had really bad insomnia and she was like take three deep breaths and you'll be able to go to sleep and like that was probably my one of my first introductions of breath work it still works but now yeah it's just it's it's such a lifeline and I think that at least for me like such a big part of my magical practice or my spiritual discipline is that checking in with myself like I I think it's so it's so easy to just not do that and to kind of just like like everything is fine I'm thinking of like that meme with like the dog with the burning house behind him he's like this is fine like you know just kind of being willfully ignorant of the self but like if you if you want to actually work effective magic then you got to know where you are and I think that yeah breath work is such a it's very gentle it's I mean obviously depending on the kind of breath work like definitely done breath work where you know it makes my hands cramp up and I kind of feel like I'm gonna die which is uh not my not my main go-to but it really feels like um a very embodied way to be honest with yourself to see how you are. And I think that doing that and then figuring out what kind of ritual you need to do, what kind of practice you can lean into, like once you know how you're feeling, then it's going to be so much easier to really like ask yourself what you need and actually get an honest answer with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it should go before anything that people do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's a good way, that's a good point to segue into ritual, because you mentioned that also is something that is uh, so important to your practice, right? Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned kind of personal ritual, you mentioned group ritual with Kent Coven. And I'm c- just curious about that, maybe if you want to talk about your approach to that, because you seem like you have a very creative uh, and and individualistic approach to it, which is always awesome to see, and I feel like we don't see it enough, so. Sure, do you want to know like about like, the rituals that I practice, King Coven specifically, rituals I write. I just want to make sure I'm answering your question. Yeah. Um, just generally your approach to it and yeah. maybe all of the above. Cool. So I definitely, for me, like magic, you know, it's an art and a science, right? And for me, a big part of the way that I fit into my life is creatively. Like I, you know, it's, you know, I feel people use this metaphor all the time. It's like any other skill, right? Like playing music or something, you got to learn all the notes. And then once you know the basics, you can write a song or whatever. I don't really play music. So I'm just kind of guessing here, but I know that's how it works. Um, So for my own practice, it's definitely a mix of like traditional ceremonial rituals and then witchcraft and then my own kind of um, interests, which is for me, what really, aligns with with my vision just in general so you know i do the lbrp every day i do my solar adorations i do you know have those rituals i do um and that kind of acts as the framework for my daily practice but then i you know i have i have my daily ritual which i've been meditating twice a day so each one is kind of different but i really just i don't know i i think it I kind of just, I'm sorry, this is such an involved question. I want to make sure I'm answering it. My brain is like trying to pick out the pieces. Um, so yeah, I definitely think, you know, there's a time and place to, to do rituals that are, uh, you know, kind of like egregores. I mean, LBRP, something like that, where it's been like so many people have been doing it. You're tapping into obviously something bigger than yourself. And my daily ritual doesn't really change that much. It involves tarot and meditation and breath work and journaling and some other stuff, prayer, that kind of thing. Um, but then the rituals that I perform for the full moon, full moons or new moons, um, 
those, you know, have a kind of a set structure, like I'll usually do the LBRP again, or the hexagram or the, uh, hexagram ritual. Um, I, you know, it's really funny. The more I get into ceremonial magic, the more that becomes the structure of, of my own rituals. But then I kind of think we were talking about this. Like I, I work with the tree of life a lot and like a lot of the tarot keys and the Hebrew letters and intonation and will kind of like customize my rituals based on my intention, based on whatever the sun and the moon are doing and based on what I need and what, what feels aligned with, um, with where I am and, uh, you know, working with different faces, the faces of the divine feminine and, um, my devotion to goddess is a, probably the most central part of my magical practice. So a lot of my work will either be a lot of my rituals, you know, I, I mean, I definitely manifest things, you know, I think that's obviously important, but lately I felt like more so my rituals are uh, a way to know myself more or to feel energy in my body in a new way or um, more devotional and less of like asking for things, less transactional, which I feel like is something that at least that I've noticed in like mainstream witchcraft, you know, like witchcraft and like women's magazines, which I, I write for, like, I don't know, it can kind of be like, oh, it's a new moon. So you have to manifest. And I'm just like, I definitely think there's a time and place for that. But I also think that again, like introspection and um, self-knowledge and just like energy work are really important just in general. So my own rituals are definitely, you know, there's Kabbalah has become a very, very central part of my practice. So there's usually some kind of a, uh, you know, part of that that's in my rituals, but a lot of it has to do with my body and like embodiment and movement and like sex magic and that kind of thing. Because I just am like not interested in rituals that are just cerebral. I'm not interested in magic that only fucking takes place in the brain. That is just not my thing. It just does not feel resonant for me. And like, I don't know. I'm trying to turn my whole life into like a devotional ritual to the goddess. And I'm trying to turn my whole life into magic. And for me, that means feeling it and not just thinking about it. So um, that's a lot. That's also part of the reason that I started King Coven because I was like, I, I, I'm really interested in the overlap between embodiment and sexuality and witchcraft and especially like, um, especially kink and how, um, you know, if you're actually practicing BDSM, then it's very ritualized already. You're negotiating, you're creating a container. There's, it's a power and energy exchange. There's a lot of energy being raised anyway. So, um, you know, I missed my kinky community. So I, uh, co-created King Coven with my friend Shade Damore, who's an amazing, um, professional switch, um, here in LA as well. And it's, partially because we wanted community and because we wanted to con like connect with each other. And also because, yeah, I mean, sex work, the sex work community, sex workers are some of the most marginalized people, especially, if, you know, it's a sex workers, trans and of color, like the, probably the most marginalized group. Um, and, you know, I think that magic has to be something that makes the world a better place. And, um, yeah, the idea of King Coven was both community and helping the community and it's donation based. So all of the money that we raise goes to different organizations that support sex workers and kind of like having that, you know, monetary and energetic part together to me feels 
very important. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's been something that's been really, really fun for me. Like I just am not interested at this point in my witch career and like leading just like basic ass rituals. Like there's nothing wrong with leading just like a normal full moon ritual. There's plenty of people doing it, but like, I just, I'm just not, it just doesn't feel good to me. And like, I have the luxury of not, of saying no to things that don't really resonate. So um, it's been really fun to, yeah, to lead King Coven and to continue kind of exploring that intersection of, of magic and sensuality in a way that um, I hope is helping, you know, helping the world a little bit. That's super cool. Uh, Yeah. It was really interesting to hear you talk about devotion and shifting from transactional to devotional. And that's something that I've observed in a lot of magicians' lives, in my own life. And I think that that is, for lack of better way of putting it, is kind of the line that separates the kids from the adults in terms of people who, you know, really become lifelong, um, whatever you want to call it, spiritual, you know, they're, they're, they're seeking something bigger than themselves rather than the transactional approach, which is like great for about three months, you know, (laughs) you know, and, and, but it's just, it's just pure ego. There's nothing, there's nothing there beyond, it's just another form of consumerism really. Um, and the best thing I think that can come of it is that people, I guess, are put at ease that they're actually doing something real and, but then they have to ask the question, well, what now? And getting a bigger car is probably not the right answer to that. Um, it should be about seeking something bigger than yourself. So that's really, that's really, uh, just something that's matched my own experience. And, and it seems to be part of the, it seems to be part of the, uh, the life cycle of, of people into this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like there's plenty of magicians who are or cultists or witches who just, you know, want to do it to feed the ego. And I definitely, you know, like I, I, you know, I have an ego. I definitely do my best to not live from that place. We all have, you know, that part of ourselves, but yeah, just, I think especially this past year, like I I'm really very privileged. Like my life, my work didn't really change that much this year. Cause I was already working from home. I was already working for myself. I was already writing my books and, I think especially seeing just how many people were struggling and seeing how many people struggled like this past year really reaffirmed like I don't I'm not doing this just to get shit like listen you know like especially if if you're from like if you're not financially stable like using magic to get to a place of like stability hell yeah like using it as a way to get out of situations that are oppressive hell yeah like that is you know that's the history of magic that's super important but i'm just like i'm not interested in using every new moon to manifest like i just i also don't need to and i feel like if you're actually practicing magic and you're act it's working then like there comes a place where like you know it it you kind of have what you need already you know like you're like oh like these things are here and like I don't know, like all the synchronicities are just working, even if you're not doing a ritual to manifest. And it, it just, I don't know, it doesn't, it stopped feeling good. And I, I think a lot of my, um, my friends and the people that I talk to in this community are yeah, definitely on the same page where it's something that brings us closer to our, you know, higher self, holy guardian angel, spirit, goddess, God, each other source. Like, I don't, I, I think that like, at the end of the day, to me, magic is love. And like, that is what I want it for. Not so I can 
have a million dollars. So like one day I do hope to have a million dollars so I can give a shit ton of it away and stuff. But like, it just, that that's never felt like the goal, you know? Yeah. And you know, of course, real love is non-transactional. That's kind of what mm -hmm. defines love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you mentioned sex magic and taking a generally embodied approach to magic. And this is, of course, a perennial favorite topic of everybody and, and something that everyone is always interested in. So I'm curious what your, what your take on that is, because you've written a lot about it. And uh, yeah, I'm curious yeah. about that. Sure. So for me, sex magic, I mean, TLDR, right? A way of working with sexual energy for a desired outcome or purpose. So like, yeah, you can use sex magic to manifest. You can use it to banish. Like all of those things are uh, obviously you can do it. And I really think that there's like, I, I think for me, the thing is like sexual energy is the energy of creation, right? Like it is literally the energy of of sustenance. It is what gives us life. So, you know, obviously very, very potent for making things happen or manifesting or transforming. But I really am interested in sex magic as a way to like meet myself deeper for a way uh, as a way for me to meet the divine in different states of being and consciousness and through different realities. And also like as a way to to be devoted to that energy. I mean, I'm a devotee of the goddess of love. So it like feel if it, it, my relationship with sex magic really began through that lens. Um, and though it's expanded past that, like engaging with my sexuality and honoring my own sexuality and practicing sex magic is like a way that I not only honor the goddess, but embody that energy. So my perspective is definitely like more polytheist or pagan, I guess, with that. It's like not, you know, it's obviously something that I do. I, I think that there's, there's very few rituals in my eyes or like very few spells that wouldn't, um, that sex magic wouldn't support or help. And I think that that's why it's like, it's very accessible. I mean, obviously like there's plenty of people who don't want to engage in sex magic or ace and like that is totally fine. Um, but like, again, if it's something that you're drawn to, like it's so it, it can meet you wherever you are. And I think that's one of the really great things about it. Um, and you know, I always make the caveat, like you don't have to be like, you don't have to be able to orgasm to practice sex magic. Like there are people who literally can't orgasm and like, it's all about raising the energy. So as long as you can do that, then you're good. I, again, like always aim for my work to be very inclusive. So that's always something that I include when I'm writing about sex magic, but you know, like I've recently been super interested in really working on like using my breath and my visualizations, like move energy through my body in different ways and to engage with it in new ways. And like anything else, like, you know, you could just masturbate and work with sex magic very easily, or you can make it like a, a whole ritual, right. Including different things. And, um, I think that it's a really good way to, to know yourself more deeply. I think for me, that's just like why I love magic so much. Like, obviously it's fun and cool. And yeah, like you gotta go to different dimensions and like do cool spells and meet fun people. But like, I, I, so a big pillar of my life is, you know, knowing myself and knowing thyself. And, um, I think that, being comfortable with your own sexuality and like your body and working with that energy is just such a potent way of deepening that and like deepening that kind of um, acceptance of where you are. And I, I think that it's just such a powerful 
tool that you can really weave in in so many ways to your own practice. Like, yeah, my, 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 my work, it's like very DIY in that sense where I think it's really important for, I think it's really important for any magic practitioner to like engage with magic in a way that resonates with them. Like your interests, your culture, where you are in your life. Like, uh, all of these things can, and in my opinion, should like make your magic fit you. It should be couture, right? It should fit to your life. And, um, you know, we all, we all have different sexual interests. We all have different ways of engaging with sexuality. And, um, I think figuring out the ways that that resonates with you is just such a powerful addition to a magical practice. Yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, in my way of thinking about things, both sex and magic are about connection, which mm-hmm. could be another way to say love, but just connection to, I think, as you were saying, so so as you were putting it so well, connection to yourself at a deeper level, connection mm-hmm. to other people. And lo- it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the best way to learn about other people, which is the therefore, in, in so doing, the best way to learn about yourself. Uh, and connection to the the divine, for lack of a better way of putting it, the broader universe, whatever we want to call it. Um, and sex and magic, let alone combined, are just perhaps the most potent ways we have of doing that, I think, and among the most potent. Um, I've actually, I've kind of made a conscious decision. I did make a conscious decision not to teach sex magic because it's a little awkward and cringe to just teach it online. I mean, and you know, particularly on the internet, particularly, particularly with our, our culture, uh, mm-hmm. currently is so, um, uh, touchy, shall we say. And, um, so I kind of stand by that, but that said, even though I don't, you know, uh, even though I don't, I don't teach it, I do think it's the most important part of magic in a way. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of, I kind of leave people to, I kind of point towards it and, and hope that people will discover it on their own, which is perhaps a, a better, um, a better way to do it, uh, than having somebody guide you just because it's, it's, it's so personal. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like too, it's like, I feel like if anybody, if you've had an orgasm, like, you know, that kind of like dissonance from reality where you feel bigger than yourself, right? Like it's, it's, you know, like, you know, it when you feel it, if you know, you know, and like, if you're already in a ritual setting, if you've already done magic, even if you just, if you've ever raised energy or raised, you know, a cone of power or whatever, um, you'll any smart person be able to be like, Oh, okay. Like I, I see that connection. And I mean, especially now, like we're in an age where there are so many books about it. There are so many people teaching it. And obviously like, you know, I'm like fucking throwing a hat into the ring, but, um, yeah, I think that it's like one of those things that, and I, I always tell people to do it by themselves first. Like you have to, you know, be comfortable with that part of yourself. Like if you want to engage with it, uh, in a meaningful way with anybody else. So, um, yeah, I, I, I get that decision. Obviously I'm kind of on the other side of it, but I understand. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome. Uh, you you know, in temple of psychic youth, the first ritual was, uh, you know, temple of psychic youth started, you know, it was all sex magic and, uh, just like straight into the deep end. And the first ritual was in detail, writing down your ultimate sexual fantasy, which is hard, which is more difficult than it seems, right? Because it has to be like the imperfect detail. And and that's often, for a lot of people, a question they've never asked themselves. I'm always amazed, you know, I was, I was always amazed, particularly in LA, 
um, how afraid people are just to be by themselves. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, let alone to introspect to to what would mm -hmm. seem like an obvious question to ask, but it's, it's not an obvious question to ask for a lot of people. Yeah. I just think that a lot. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel like if this panini pandemic, whatever you want to call it has taught, um, or has really showed me anything. It's that, yeah, people are very scared to be by themselves. And I mean, I know we bonded over both being hermits. I'm like, I love my alone time. I need my alone time. I am my own best friend. I get very annoyed with myself sometimes, but I've always been somebody who's very, very, um, comfortable being alone. I think maybe a lot of magical practitioners are kind of on that same path, but yeah, like knowing yourself, it's scary. And especially sexually and you know, I think because it, being alone means there's a potential for being lonely. And, but with that, you know, like my most, um, the most powerful experiences I've had with sex magic and just with magic in general is at those periods of being lonely where I've had to be like, how can I give myself this thing that I want that I'm lacking from other people? Like, how can I be, be there for myself? How can I be my own lover? And what are the things that I want to experience in that that was a huge catalyst, not only in my own explorations, but in my work. So, you know, like it's important. I think it's really important to be able to be alone, but it's definitely, um, I think it's very frightening for people to, to be honest with where they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's always been really surprising for me. Like I remember going to, um, there's a sensory deprivation place in Pasadena called Just Float that I used to go to when I lived there. And uh, I would go and people would tell me that, you know, like people would get in a sensory deprivation tank and they'd never been by themselves for more than 20 minutes, you know, or even that much. Like they'd never not been chattering away with a bunch of people oh around them. I mean, but this is LA, so this yeah. is theater kids, you know, so, so there's that. But um, that was really disturbing to me because I basically spent my whole life with my own thoughts. I think yeah. this is why they call it the hermetic tradition. You know, it's the tradition of hermits. Yeah, so. really. That, yeah, that, that's absolutely, I cannot imagine. I'm like, I spend 20 minutes with somebody else. I'm like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go pee and I'm going to do some breath work on the toilet. Like, especially now, like, I feel like I'm, as I reintegrate to being with other people, like I, I definitely like you know, need to balance that with plenty of alone time. And I mean, I'm also a twin. So like I have, uh, been forced. I, I fucking love my sister, Alex. Don't get angry at me for saying this. I've, you know, my whole life was forced to be around somebody else. Like since the womb, I don't even have my own fucking birth chart. Sorry if I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on here, yes, but you are. okay, cool. Um, yeah. So like, you know, being my own person and taking time alone has always been very, very important to me. So I'm with you on that. I'm like, you don't like being alone. What the fuck is wrong with you? Like, that just, it just makes me sad. It makes me sad that people aren't comfortable with themselves in that way. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's why I think the, the earlier point you made about people kind of starting with their own desire first rather than, and getting really clear on that because, you know, sex is so often transactional in our, in our culture. That's not necessarily bad. It's just that by, by transactional, I mean, people use it to emotionally manipulate or get things from other people or for covert reasons. And that's just human nature. You know, there's nothing out of the ordinary about that. It's just how humans are. But um, because of this, people can go their whole lives never truly asking themselves what they want. Yeah. What do I want? What do I like? Why am I doing these things? And like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like anything. I mean, people are, are going to be distracting themselves. If it's not sex, then it's like, 
they're going to be numbing themselves with alcohol or social media. And like, you know, I'm definitely guilty of these things. I'm not by any means a fucking saint, but um, I, I feel like that's why sex magic is so powerful, especially once you start like becoming aware of that energy within you. It's like, it's something that at least for me extends beyond just the realms of actually like engaging with sex magic. You're able to tap into this erotic energy in other ways and then work with that. And like, I don't know. I think that like it, it will lead you to other things that are fulfilling. Like I have definitely had like, you know, orgasms in def- different energy centers in my body when I'm doing things like driving down the road and listening to music or like sitting outside and under the sun and um, finding that kind of connection to my sexual self outside of the realm of just sex magic, like empowers me and allows me to be more sovereign in that and to be more conscious about how I'm engaging with that with other people. And um, more able to give that to myself in different ways. So, yeah. Yeah, I, that's awesome. I, it really seems to be a, it's hard to be dishonest in moments of ecstasy. Let me put it that way, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, like with yourself. And I, I think um, for that reason, let alone the, the fact that sexual ecstasy is the key to reproduction is therefore the central aspect of our biological orgasm, <laughs> excuse me, our biological organism, right? To be Reikian. Um, it is the key to spirituality. It's the key to yeah. self-knowledge. I mean, what more potent key could there be? And that's why I think one of the many ways that magic or many, many of the, one of the many reasons why magic is so appealing to people now uh, because all these religions have cut that off. They've done mm-hmm. the opposite. They've done, they've, you know, done the evil thing, in my opinion, of um, telling people that sexuality is the impediment to their spiritual growth, which is the yeah. exact 180 degree opposite to the truth. Exactly. Uh, and that's why they're the Black Brotherhood, you know, to yeah. <laughs> as Crowley put it. But yeah. but um, sometimes I sometimes I really think it's that simple, you know, mm-hmm. like that we maybe we don't need all the symbolic overhead of magic i think just to make the clear point to people just the very clear point is actually you know sexuality on your own terms not what somebody else tells you that's critical sexuality on your own terms and nobody else's it's nobody else's business but your own and 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 your partners um that's the key to self-realization not cutting it off and we even i would have so many experiences with you know like supposedly new age, you know, supposedly pagan or supposedly new age or supposedly yoga groups. And they're all anti-sex and something's wrong with that. I think there's something yeah. that it's a little, there's a lot of self-deception and group deception going on in situations like that. Absolutely. I, I honestly could not agree more. And you know, that's why I'm writing my sacred sex book. Cause I feel like it just, it's, it seems so obvious. I think that once you have that, that kind of like, experience whether it's alone or with somebody else or whatever like it clicks and you know the christian church man they really they they i i don't even want to get into it but like there is a reason that they cut that shit off like it is so powerful and i mean like it is seen in so many ancient traditions and like it it really is like yeah i just totally agree with what you're saying and I I think that a lot of the people who are new agey, who are um, sex negative or just horophobic on different levels, um, it's just repurposed, repackaged Christianity. You're literally just retaking those that fear and and selling it in a different way. I mean, yeah, like 
I, I think that what you were saying about sexuality on your own terms, like that is the key, but the only way to know what your own terms are, aren't to engage with yourself erotically. And, um, I think that, you know, some, a lot of these groups or religions are stopping you from doing that because they know once you do that, and once you connect with that part of your spirit, then it's like anything is possible. It's they just can't control you either. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know. I mean, just so yeah, I'm just thinking of how fucked up like the the churches. I mean, they're I don't even want to get into that, but yeah, I, I really definitely think that um, if everybody orgasms more and engage with themselves sexually in a way that felt resonant with their spirit, in a way that honored wherever they were and allowed it to be a spiritual experience, it would be it would be a better world. I completely agree, and I, I think that I think that that can't be dialed up and communicated enough. Uh, and it's something that people continually need to hear. And I think that um, it is about being in touch with yourself, but it's also about, you know, living a little and, and yeah. going out. One of the huge things that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm technically a zenial. I'm, 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 you know, I was born in 81. So I'm, I'm kind of like on the cusp between generation hex and, and the millennials. Um, so I'm in between. I remember when there were only, when there was only black, um, excuse me, there was only uh, broadcast TV and record players still before the, before the internet. But, um, one of the most devastating things about the millennial generation is they just grew up in this, uh, how do I put it? Like Tupperware existence where they just, they're in the, the entire goal of their parents was to keep them safe in mm -hmm. a sanitized environment mm -hmm. post nine 11. Mm -hmm. uh, they were, including me, we were all told, you know, if we ever had sex with anyone, we would immediately die of AIDS, which by the way, was Anthony Fauci. That was his idea. So, uh, I'll say no more other than that. I, I'm convinced that this guy is just some type of, uh, you know, bizarre, uh, like latex and mask fetishist on a, on a global level. But um, the millennials were raised to basically become hamster people. And it's, they, they're not in touch with themselves. They're in touch with Reddit. I don't know what they're in touch with, but um, in, in not in all cases, but in many cases. And I think that prior generations, including the boomers um, definitely were more, were more wild and I think that's really good for people. People need to live a little. They need to mm -hmm. um, explore the wrong side of the tracks. They need to get their heart broken. They need to push themselves beyond yeah. what they thought they were capable of. And they need to not be safe. Yeah. And I definitely feel that. I mean, I'm a millennial. I definitely, you know, grew up somewhat like that. Like, definitely had a very privileged existence in a lot of ways. And I'm grateful for it. But yeah, I mean, like what, what do the kids do when you, you know, are over parenting, they're going to rebel, which like you were saying, like, I think that, you know, pushing against those boundaries and those edges is important. And like, I don't know, I was, I'm thinking about like when I was like in my twenties and in college and was partying a lot and like drinking way more than I should. And just like that taught me so much about myself and that taught me so much about my desires and like my, you know, sexual awakenings weren't like at home, just being like studying magic it was being out in the world and like doing things I probably shouldn't have been doing and I definitely see like a lot of you know people who are especially like on you know the internet and social media and stuff were like 
obviously magic and occultism, like it's a discipline, right? It's a practice It requires study. But I'm like, if you're not living and if you're not taking this stuff into the world, then it's just going to be insular. It's just going to be in your own little hermetic bubble. And like, I, again, like I was saying before, like for me, like I, my goal is to become a, a walking vessel for the divine, for magic, right? So that when I interact with people, I'm able to be that kind of spark for them so that, you know, especially people who might not necessarily quote unquote be awake or like not really even be aware that there's another way of existing. And like, you have to live a life outside of just magic to be able to really like pave that way. And yeah, I definitely, I, I struggle. I mean, I, I really fantasize sometimes about like being like a vestal virgin or something and just like living in a temple and tending to goddess's altar and like just meditating all day. And that's the easy way out. It's so easy. I was just talking to my dad about this, who's a rabbi. I'm like, I like that kind of like monastic life is easy because there's no distractions because the world isn't there to like make you do the work. There's no family to go back to and like, you know, actually see how much progress you made. But um, I, I, yeah, I think that living and pushing against those boundaries and knowing who you are in a setting outside of just like a magical context is only going to make your magic and um, your life better. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like, you know, well, I always come back to, I always think of the formula of Babylon, not the, not the ceremonial rituals and all of that. But, you know, Crowley says there's two ways to communicate with Babylon. One is to do all these rituals and all that, but the other is the formula of Babylon, which is constant copulation upon all phenomenon at all times. It's Mm -hmm. just with your own experience, you know, magic in John Dee's time was called natural philosophy. It's just the study Mm -hmm. of the natural world. And that's how I see it. I don't, I don't do a whole lot of like high ceremonial anymore, although I've certainly have. For me, it's just um, the very keen study of the patterns of existence and attempting to live in in accord with them. And what better way to understand that than through living, you know, and and sexuality is the most intensified form of it. You know, the way that we learn the fastest because you're you're merging it, it. however, temporarily with somebody else's universe, with somebody else's lived experience of this, whatever this thing is that we're all in. So you're sharing notes, you know, even if you're sharing a lot of things, but you know, one of the things you're sharing is notes, I think at a very deep level, that's kind of how I, how I see it. And, and it it can't, I don't think that, you know, but particularly approach consciously and I don't by consciously, I don't mean like doing some tacky new age swingers ritual or something like that. Although that can be fun too, but, um, just consciously as in approaching things as a magical act, you always come away from those experiences, um, a larger person, but, uh, you know, uh, having expanded your sense of awareness just by, by sharing the same space with another person for a short period of time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's, I mean, I definitely, I definitely have my rituals that I do every day and, you know, I like a, I like a fancy uh, theatrical moment here and there, but yeah, for me, it's like, you know, the other day I was like writing something and I burned it and I took a bath and it was like, I didn't really plan it. I was like, you know what, this is what I need. And like those simple rituals feel so sometimes even better than the ones that are like, I have to plan and, and study. And I think for me too, like, I just am not, I don't want to 
say something negative about myself because I don't want to affirm that, but I am constantly learning to be better at like memorizing stuff. And like, if I'm more worried about memorizing words or getting the words right, then like that is taking me out of the present. It's taking me out of my body. It's taking me out of the energy. So like, I I think that intuition is such an important part of magic and of letting it guide you. And that's how, to me, like you were saying, like you turn your whole day into a magical ritual, you know, it's not just something that it's um, not just something that you do. It's like, I always say like being a witch isn't just when you're doing a spell. It's not when you're doing a ritual, it's a lens in which you are living your life. It's seeing that everything is energy. It's seeing the connectivity between you and the people that you interact with and the world and nature. And it is just such a more holistic way of living, right? Like, it's not like you're, it's not like you're only magic when you do magic. It's that like you take that with you and every, everything becomes a ritual, like washing your hands. I mean, that's why I think for me, like using the frameworks of the, the framework of the elements is so powerful. Like you were saying like natural philosophy, like the elements have their own language. They have their own symbolism. They have their own energy and they're in everything. So whether you're taking a walk or whether you're, you know, washing your hands or like lighting a candle or uh, feeling the sun on your skin, you know, there's, there's this opportunity and invitation to engage with life in a deeper way. And like, that is really like what interests me with magic. It's not so much of mm, invoking things. And like, obviously I love that, but it's, it's a way for me to live more in alignment and devotion to what I believe in. Yeah. That's so, that's so well put. Um, Just what I was thinking of, as you were saying that and agreeing completely is I think if you do, you know, anyone who's done even a a bit of magic, you know, in a serious way has probably had the experience, whether it's even just through a bit of synchronicity or a deeper flow state of feeling that the universe is alive and conscious and benevolent. Absolutely. Right. So for me, it's kind of like, well, once you get that, well, it's like, all right, well, game on, right? You just like throw yourself at it because you know, it's going to catch you no matter what crazy, crazy shit you put yourself through. You know, and that's kind of it. So it's, 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 uh, I treat myself as a bit of a crash test dummy. I just throw myself at the walls of various, uh, unexpected corners of reality Yeah, in a, in a, in a living yeah. sense, not in a, oh, I'm doing some weird ritual from a book, but in a living sense, I constantly throw myself into new parts of the human experience that I've, I never would have thought that I would have been engaged with. Um, and, and I, I am constantly seeking to expand my map of reality that way and therefore understand more of, you know, whatever it is, this divine creation that we're in. I, I, I feel that that's definitely something that I, I try to do. And I've definitely been like in a weird place. I don't know the past month or so where I feel like my uh, understanding of reality, I feel like I'm a, like my reality is about to dissolve and reform in a new way. And I'm kind of just waiting for it to happen, which happens on occasion. So I'm just, yeah, like leaning into it. But something that I uh, am very aware of with the universe is that she, they, whatever, you know, the universe at large has such a fucking sense of humor. It will laugh at you. It will laugh at you. The synchronicities that you experience once you become like what I consider, like commit to being in like a conscious reciprocal relationship with the universe. Like once you decide to like, cause I mean, it doesn't have to be a conscious decision, but like, I really do think there is power in that. And like being like, I'm going to live aligned with the universe. I'm going to live like in, like you were saying, like seeing it as a living force that I have reciprocity with, like, I think it's such a powerful intention, but when you do that, gotta be ready for, for the lulls. Cause like there have been some <laughs> times where I just like, 
you just have to laugh, like just like laughing at everything, like something, sometimes something is just like so good or so bad, but in like such a synchronous way that it's just like, this is just, I could not have made this up. Like, I just feel God is laughing at me and pointing and I'm like, okay, I'm laughing with you. This is really funny. So yeah, but it's fun. Like, I don't, I I think that's so important. I think that, yeah, seeing the universe is like a living, a living entity also allows us to engage with the world, with each other with ourselves, with nature, with more empathy and compassion, which I think is so important. Yeah. I mean, what, what, what more do people need or what do people need more now? What are they missing more than ever? Yeah. For me, like everything you're describing, that is the goddess, you know, it's like that, um, that sense of, you know, the goddess winking or the goddess playing with you like the, you know, the Leela. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. It's like, you know, what could be better than, what could be better than that in a way? And I just, I love life. Magic has allowed me to mm-hmm. expand my appreciation of life so much. And yeah. I, I just love life despite all the painful parts of it, which there's a lot, you know, yeah. but that too, you know, I mean, it's like, you got to have your, um, uh, you got to eat your vegetables too sometimes. You know yeah. What I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely feel that. And that's some, I've definitely been thinking about like the, the divine play of it all a lot. And I think that especially this past year, like, I think that magic, like that, the sense of wonder and the sense of play and the sense of just like joy is so important. I mean, I really, really believe that the thing that keeps us from being miserable adults is wonder and is play. Like if we lose that, like that is when you get the cranky assholes who are just mean for no reason. And like, you know, I'm definitely an asshole here and there, but like, I I try not to be in one ways because I just... I just think that play is so important. And I think magic is a way of engaging with that, right? It is like a, it is, it is the, the divine play. It is like a way for us to keep a sense of wonder by believing in something larger than themselves. Like, yeah. So one of my favorite quotes is from, um, grapes of wrath and it's, and all of them are caught in something larger than themselves. And like, that's just, that's just it. That's just it. But we can surrender to it and like, engage with it in a way that you know makes us have at least has the illusion of allowing us some more control if anything at least it's allowing us um a more sovereign perspective and i feel like at least you know that that helps a little bit but yeah being able to laugh and being able to play and like i think it's i think it's so vital and i think that if magic isn't fun then why are you doing it if it's not something that you you like doing it. Why are you doing it? Like, I just, I'm so, I, I, that just feels like that's just something I so believe in. Like, again, it's like anything takes work. Yes. It's a practice. Yes. It's a discipline. Yes. But like, if it's not adding to your life, if it's not making you a more compassionate person, if it's not bringing a sense of wonder and a sense of just like divinity into your life, then like, why aren't you just watching sports or something? Like, why are you here? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, you know, what could be better? I mean, this is, this is why I've had the career that I've had. It's just, you know, people have lost religion and Mm -hmm. that's probably a good thing because there's so many bad things about it. Um, I think it is a good thing actually, but they're not getting their spiritual needs met anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Certainly not with, you know, Reddit atheism. So which is just nonsensical. Um, 
so it just happens to be, I think the reason why people are so interested in magic is because it just happens, there just happens to be this, you know, kind of wacky thing, this artifact from the past that we can revitalize and make new and make ours again. That's actually a set of practices that don't require you to believe things that aren't true or more critically surrender your autonomy to somebody else, right? which I think is the key to it. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And um, yeah, I mean, I know, I, I know that's, that's really resonant with me. I mean, I grew up in, you know, in temple with Judaism and kind of had it shoved down my throat and it was horrible. It was honestly a vaguely traumatic experience for me to go through that. And like, I, I mean, that's not even engaging with Christianity, which has its own horrible set of, you know, dogma and stuff. And I think that, um, people finding their own spiritual practices is just, it's life-changing. It really, like, there's no way for it not to be. And, um, you know, I definitely think that, like, believing in something and some kind of divinity is very powerful. Like, I definitely, I mean, I consider myself religious because I pray to my gods and goddesses multiple times a day and, like, I'm very devout, but it's not, there's no dogma. It's just, like, my own beliefs. And um, I think that, yeah, that being able to engage with the spiritual practice in a way that's, like, non-judgmental um, is so important. And that's, I think that's also part of the reason that like, I I'm not one who's like joined orders or been initiated by other people because like, I, it, it doesn't feel resonant with my own beliefs of, you know, my own path of being in control of myself and, um, any kind of hierarchy with, with magic in that way is just something that takes me out of, uh, the sacredness of it. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, maybe just to bring it down a notch, um, how did or or up maybe how did you decide to embark on this professionally because i know from you know i know i know from personal experience that's a really kind of insane thing to do and uh it takes a lot of courage and and takes i think the understanding that you're sacrificing your brand you're making you're branding yourself that person permanently and you have to sacrifice a lot a lot of potential options in order to do that. Um, so how did you, but you, you seem to have, you know, you just went straight for it. So, um, how did you make that decision? What led you to do that? Uh, okay. So there's this is a two part question. First off, I have always been aware. Um, I realized at a very young age that I felt different from other people and that I had two options that I could either spend my life trying to be like other people and be miserable, or I could just say, fuck it and do my own thing. And, um, my Aquarius self picked, picked that option. Um, so I did not set out to be a, a cult or professional, witch in the way that I am now, I actually went to college for fashion writing and fashion journalism. Um, I had a fashion blog for many, many years and, um, I, I started my fashion blog around the time that I started really engaging with witchcraft. Um, and I grew up in the Bible belt. I grew up in Georgia. Um, it was very, I, I discovered witchcraft when I was 12 or 13, um, right before I went through my bat mitzvah and it was really lonely and very isolating. And, um, you know, I didn't really have a community, but I, when I was in college, I guess I had my fashion blog um, RIP breathing fashion. And I started writing about witchcraft and I started, 
I started doing a series of outfits, outfit posts on my blog inspired by tarot cards where I would make an outfit based on the wild unknown tarot cards and take photos um, with a photographer named Mary DiCrescenzio, who's really sweet. And she was super, she's very devout Christian, but we were able to like really kind of see the, the God in one another and like engage with this kind of esoteric thing in a way that felt really resonant. And I think we did around like nine cards and I wrote about it. And um, when I was in college, I was, you know, studying to, I, I thought I was going to like move to New York and work for a fashion magazine. That was the trajectory that I was expecting myself to be on. Um, and I like was in a business class and had to write a cover letter which a fucking cover letter suck ass, man. Anyway, I had to write one for, um, I wrote it to an editor that I really liked at Nylon Magazine and just like actually sent it to her and was like, listen, I'm graduating. I would love to talk to you about my work. At that time, I'd already written um, for different publications and had some internships and um, had started doing journalism. But she was like, she pretty much said that they didn't have any staff positions, but would I want to freelance for them? So I wrote about, I started writing about witchcraft for them. I wrote, I think my first piece for them was like how to make your wardrobe witchier. So I talked about glamour magic and incorporating sigils and stones and um, different colors and correspondences into your, into your clothing as a way to engage with, with glamour magic Um, and just kept writing for them. And like, you know, that was the, the one byline I needed to get other bylines. So I started, um, I think actually before that I, um, had had uh, Vice's then feminist vertical called Broadly reach out to me um, and ask me to write about the winter solstice. So that came to me. And then I started, you know, once I wrote for Nylon, I started writing for other magazines and um, still was kind of just like doing it as like a freelance thing. And um, about five years ago, I um, was graduated college, was convinced I was going to move to New York City and um, landed a internship with Vivian Westwood out in LA and, um, decided to move here for it. And, um, I was there for a while and then ended up at Hello Giggles as a staff writer and, um, kept writing about witchcraft, kept freelancing about it. You know, I've always post, I, since, since I started Instagram like 10 years ago, I've, I've always been somebody who's like out of the broom closet. I'm very open with my beliefs with witchcraft and have always posted about tarot and, you know, what I believe in and, um, was, was still doing that and still writing about witchcraft on my social media pages. And, um, I was writing at Hello Giggles and I actually was approached by a publisher on Twitter from eBerry, which is a penguin random house imprint based in London. Um, and they asked me if I'd want to write a book about witchcraft. And at that time, I had been writing my column with Nylon Magazine called Ask a Witch, which is exactly what it sounds like. And I would just answer people's questions about witchcraft every month. And literally, like, and this is like why I, this is one of the reasons that, you know, I was like, goddess will literally laugh at you. Like, I had been driving to work and I was driving downtown and like, you know, um, people would DM me their questions. And one question that I always got from my column was like, what books do you recommend about witchcraft? And that morning, I remember being like, people ask me this all the damn time. Like I could write a book about, about this. And yeah, I, I kid you not. I got a DM that day, um, asking if I'd want to write a book about witchcraft. And a couple months before this was, I don't, I can't do math. Like four years ago, four and a half years ago, um, I was like pretty sure I wanted to quit writing about witchcraft. It was so oversaturated. I felt like everybody was doing it. It was like 
everybody, every magazine was writing about it. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of this. I'm just going to write about menswear. I was like, there's not enough <laughs> women's women writing about menswear. I think I'm just going to pivot and do that. And like literally like a week or two later, I get this DM and I was like, yeah, sure. And, um, got an agent and then did that. And, um, I'm just really lucky that it's been something that, um, has been very effortless, honestly, like that happened. And then my book was published by, um, in the U S it's called inner, which, um, in, in the UK it's called craft, but the publisher that published it here, um, Tarcher Perigees, they've published all my other books. Um, and they're really, really great publishing house. And it's everybody on the team is women. And it's just like, they really, um, support me and come to me with projects. And, um, yeah, it's not really something that I, I just, you know what, I, I have a lot, like you were saying, like, I have a lot of faith in the universe. I trust it. I trust her. Like, I know that the path that's meant for me is going to open for me. And like, I think just allowing myself to follow that has been why I, why I am where I am. I mean, obviously a lot of work and, um, yeah, it was, it was really hard for a few years, like between my first and second book coming out, I was working as a staff writer and kind of like got demoted slash fired and then had to figure out how to work for myself. But, but that was one of the best things to ever happen to me because working for myself is like one of the greatest joys of my life. And, uh, I'm not a good employee. I'm not really meant to work for anybody else. I will take too many, too long of a lunch break and I'll talk too much. And like, I just like, I don't know, success to me is being able to do what I want to do, uh, and making, you know, enough money to support myself while doing it. And it definitely, um, took some time and I, I have some way to go, but, um, yeah, it's been really, it's, it's such, it's something I'm grateful for every day. I, I never, ever, ever take writing about this stuff for granted. It's like, especially somebody who's Jewish, like my ancestors were killed for even talking about what they believed in. So, um, it's something I have a lot of, a lot of gratitude for. Awesome. Well, if people want to find out more about, uh, you and your work, where should they go in terms of uh, maybe first book uh, website or first books to start with? So my website is gabriellahersick.com. Um, G A B R I E L A H E R stik.com. Um, you can find my ritual guides there, link to all my books, um, other info about myself. And then you can find my books wherever books are sold. Um, you can just Google my name and it'll come up on Penguin's page. But um, I have all my links and stuff on my social media. So, um, And I have a Patreon where I do like Q&As and um, we're starting a sex magic discussion circle next month. And I put tarot tarot spreads and ritual guides, um, for a little bit cheaper on there. And that is also, uh, so that Patreon, Instagram, and Twitter are all Gabby Herstick, G-A-B-Y-H-E-R-S-T-I-K. Um, and then yeah, kink coven stuff is kinkcoven.love. Um, yeah, you can find my books wherever go to your local bookstore though. That's always my suggestion. Awesome. And you mentioned you might be getting back to, uh, leading groups or teaching classes. Yeah, I'll eventually I'm, I'm like starting to, to teach classes again. Um, and you can find all that on my social media and my website. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. That was really thank great. You. Yay. Thanks for having me. Awesome. <laughs>